This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. I want to save a little time for the intro to the second show tonight at the half hour, the Jack Benny Show. So let's get right to the first show, and it's a scary one, Inner Sanctum, and the episode No Coffin for Dead. This show was first broadcast in 1945. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, fiends. I mean, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is Raymond, your host, inviting you through the squeaking door. Don't hesitate. Come right in. Oh, it's a bit dark. Careful, don't brush up against that skeleton. Oh, he's quite harmless, I assure you. He's only the skeleton in our closet come out for a bit of air. <laughs> the idea of a skeleton coming out for air. Such nonsense. Oh, you mean because it's already so well ventilated? Oh, how do you do, Mary Bennett? Hello, Mr. Raymond. Hmm. Now, you tell me truthfully. Is there a family skeleton in your closet? Oh, yes, indeed. And what's more, we make no bones about it. <laughs> but I'd uh, like to really get him out of the closet. I need space to store my Lipton's noodle soup. What a silly thing to say. Hmm? You know very well that Lipton's noodle soup comes in a tidy little package that takes up hardly any room at all. Oh. fact is, Lipton's is convenient all the way around. It takes hardly any time to make. Costs less and makes lots more than canned soups. And when it comes to flavor, nothing can beat Lipton's. It's a grand homemade tasting noodle soup with a, a chickeny flavor. And folks, Lipton's is just swimming with tender golden egg noodles. It's like I always say, you just don't know how good noodle soup can be till you've tried Lipton's. And like I always say, tonight put a tight hat on your head so your hair won't rise. And get ready to listen to No Coffin from the Dead. It's an original story by Emil Tepperman. Now, a star tonight is that famous radio actor, Les Tremaine, who plays the part of Tom Archer. Along the swanky East River Drive, all is quiet, except for the footsteps of two men who hurry toward one of the many tall apartment houses. Let me introduce you quickly to these two men before uh, death strikes out at them. The man on the outside, the tall, blonde man, is District Attorney Tom Archer. The other one, the lean, dark-haired fellow, is Tom Archer's assistant, John Crane. 
Tom's really worried about you. I'll walk you to the door of your house, John. I don't like your being out alone this late at night. Whoever's been sending you those threatening letters isn't just... Look out, John! That fellow in the alley with a knife! Look out! Drop that knife, you! Oh, you... You've killed him! You've killed John Freed! No! Keep back, you... No! Cover that knife, you don't! No! No, don't stab me! The devil killed John Frayne. Stabbed me. I'll remember his face if I never see him again. I'll remember. When I began to regain consciousness after that attack. I was lying on the ground at the mouth of the little alley near John Frame's home. A fussy little ambulance intern had just finished working over me. There was a small crowd around me. And I glimpsed the face of Detective Inspector Lambert just behind the intern. There. Feel better now, Mr. Archer? Uh, how is he, Doc? I about got him fixed up, Inspector Lambert. I think he'll be all right. He's conscious now. Can I talk to him? Yeah, but better not move him for a few minutes till the shock wears off. How are you, Mr. Archer? Well, pretty good. I feel like a mummy with all these bandages. Yeah, both hands. What did they do? Jump you with knives? Well, we... We were passing the alley. John and I... John! What happened to John Frame? Speak up, Inspector. What happened to John? Now, take it easy, Mr. Archer. John's dead. They got him in the back. Right through the heart. Oh, merciful heaven. John? Did you get a look at the killers, Mr. Archer? Could you identify them? Well, there... There was only one man. He, he, He came out of the alley. He stabbed John, and then he swung at me... I didn't have time to go for my gun, so I, I caught the blade in my bare hands. He ripped the knife away and stabbed at me. I, I don't know how many times. Six stab wounds, Mr. Archer. You're darn lucky none of them hit a vital spot. That was a brave thing, grabbing the knife with your bare hands. Probably saved your life. That's the mistake the killer made, leaving me alive. I've seen his face. I'll catch up with him if it takes the rest of my life. shaky on my feet when Inspector Lambert and the intern helped me up. But I insisted on going over to where the body of John Frayne lay, covered with a white sheet. And then I saw Susan leaning against the great comforting bulk of old Mrs. Hogan, her housekeeper. She was looking down at the shroud that covered her husband's body. It was God's will, Mrs. Frayne. Susan... Oh, Tom. Tom, I can't believe it. The John. Be, be brave, Susan. John's dead. Nothing I can say will replace him. Have you any idea who the murderer is? I, I saw his face for a moment, that's all. But I'll recognize it again, I'm sure. Mr. Archer, here's something we found in the alley. What is it, Inspector? Looks like the charm off a watch fob. It's broken off. 
A charm. Oh. You recognize it, Mrs. Frame? Oh, no. No, it can't be. It can't be. No, no, of course not, Susan. There are hundreds of watch charms like this one. What is it, Mrs. Frame? That watch charm. My younger brother, Peter, wears one just like it. Oh? Oh, nonsense, Lambert. You can buy those in any jewelry store. Besides, I saw the killer's face. It wasn't Pete. Mrs. Hogan. Yes, Mr. Archer? Please take Mrs. Frayne upstairs now. That I'll do. Come along, darling. I'll see you later, Susan. Oh, please stay here, Tom. You're hurt. All those wounds. I'll be okay. Right now, I've got to go downtown with Inspector Lambert and look at pictures while that murderer's face is fresh in my mind. Headquarters, I looked through hundreds of pictures in the rogues' gallery. It was just two hours before I came upon the photograph. Lambert, this is our man. You're sure? Positive. I'll never forget that face. Turn it over. Let's see the name, quick. Right. Art Hogan. Good heavens. Art Hogan? That would be the son of old Mrs. Hogan, the frame housekeeper. Lambert and I both remembered the case of Art Hogan. It went back five years before John Flain had married Susan. Bart Hogan had lived with his mother, both working for Susan's father. One day, Bart Hogan had snatched up a kitchen knife and attacked Susan's father with mad fury. Only John's lucky arrival had saved the old man. John subdued Bart Hogan. The mad youngster had been committed to the state asylum for life. But he had escaped seven months ago. Nobody had heard from him since then. Until tonight. Great Scott. So that murderous kid has come back after all these years. To get his revenge. I'm going back to the Frayne house. I, I want to talk to Mrs. Hogan. You think you might know where our son can be found? Who knows? I'll talk to her anyway. Uh, by the way, Mr. Archer. Yes? While you're up there, suppose you just kind of check on whether Brother Pete has lost his watch charm. Frames occupied a top-floor duplex in the riverfront apartment house. I took the elevator up, and Mrs. Hogan admitted me. I'll take your hat and coat, Mr. Archer. Thank you. Mrs. Hogan, where's your son, Bart? Bart? Oh, why'd you ask after Bart? Have you seen or heard from him since he escaped from the state assignment? What, what makes you ask that? Mrs. Hogan... That there's reason to believe that the person who attacked us in the alley is your son, Bart. Oh, no, no. Never say that, Mr. Archer. I'm afraid it's true. No, it, it, it couldn't be. I swear to you, it couldn't be, Bart. Why not? I, I can't tell you why. But it wasn't Bart, I'm sure. What makes you so sure? You know where he's been hiding since his escape? You know where he is now? <sighs> Heaven help me. If you know where he is, you must give him up. But he didn't do it. He didn't. Believe me, Mrs. Hogan. I understand how you feel. But it'd be far better for Bart to go back to the state asylum than to be hunted for this new crime if he didn't do it. Mr. Archer, if if I prove to you that Bart couldn't have done it, would you let him be? 
Not make him go back to the asylum. I don't know what to say. You see, I was downtown just now, and I recognized the picture of the man who attacked us. It turned out to be your son. There's very little chance that I was mistaken. But if I prove he couldn't have done it... How can you prove it? Come, I'll show you. Her usually ruddy face was drained of blood as she led me up the stairs to the upper floor of the duplex, and then along the hall to her room. I always keep the door locked. Go inside, please. Oh, I... I don't see anything in this room, Mrs. Hogan. Well, over here, please, the, the closet. Hmm. Is that you, Ma? Is that you? It's all right, Bart, darling. I, I brought a good friend. Good heavens. You've been hiding him here in this closet? For seven months now. When he escaped from the asylum, he came here. I cleared out the closet. It just holds the cot. He lies in there night and day. Where's he, Ma? Where'd you bring him? What's he want? Don't be afraid, Bart. Mr. Archer won't hurt you. He wants to ask you some questions. Bart, have you been out of this room tonight? Mm-hmm. Out? Me? Not a chance. He tells the truth, Mr. Archer. Here, I'll pull the blanket back and show you the proof. There. Look at his legs. He was shot in both legs when he escaped from the asylum. I couldn't get medical attention for him, and the wounds never healed properly. I see. You must believe me now, Mr. Archer. Bart couldn't be one who attacked you, because, well, he'll never be able to walk as long as he lives. Hogan didn't do it. And mind you, I said it. Then who did kill poor John Frayne? Well, whoever killed him must have been a rather cheerful person because he uh, took life so cheerfully. <laughs> cheerful indeed. Mr. Raymond, you've always had such gruesome thoughts on your mind, you wouldn't recognize something cheerful if you met right up with it. Oh, now, Mary, aren't you being a bit unfair? No, I'm not. You just don't know what folks like. But you listen to me, because I'm going to make a suggestion that'll please everyone. All right. Folks, if you want to give the boys overseas a real taste of home, why not send them a package or two of Lipton's noodle soup? It's so easy to do. You don't even need a request slip. You know, a bowl of hot soup makes a mighty good snack for the boys. And when they receive Lipton's noodle soup mix, they're getting that old-fashioned kind of chickeny-tasting noodle soup. So send a package or two of Lipton's to your favorite serviceman. That's a terrific suggestion. And uh, here's another thing that pleases me. There seems to be plenty of murder ahead in tonight's story. Uh, You remember that pretty little girl, Susan? Well, looks like she's next on the murderer's list. How about that, Tom? Come on. Tell us more. And don't spare the girl. When I entered the living room on the lower floor, a few minutes later, 
Susan and Peter were there with Arnold Matson, the lawyer. I tell you, this is a serious problem, Susan, and we've got to find an answer to it. There is no answer, Mr. Matson. Oh, oh, Tom, thank heaven you've come at last. Hello, Susan. Hello, Peter. Hi. You know Mr. Matson, of course. Of course. Uh, I understand, Mr. Archer, that you narrowly escaped the same fate as poor John. Well, uh, I was lucky. Those bandages must be a nuisance. I can stand them. Bandages are better than a shroud. Uh, by the way, Peter, that uh, looks like a new watch charm you're wearing. What, this? Oh, I lost the other one someplace, so I bought a new one. What of it? Oh, nothing. Now, Miss Matson, when I came in, you were saying something about a serious problem. Exactly. As you know, Susan's father left an estate of a million and a quarter dollars in a trust fund to be paid to Susan on her 23rd birthday. Yes, yes, I know. And she'll be 23 next month. But uh, there's a proviso in the will, Mr. Archer. In order to receive the inheritance, Susan must be married and living with her husband on that date. Please, Mr. Matson, I... I don't want to talk about the money. Yes, but don't you see? You lose it all. The will distinctly says that you must be living with your husband. If not, then the money goes to eight charities except for $50,000 to Peter. I don't care. I don't care what happens to the money. Without John, it doesn't matter. Well, well, Peter, it'll be a break for you. What do you mean by that, Master? Well, there's no need to become enraged, Peter. I only pointed out... Oh, you out... filthy rat, I'll show you what I'm going to do. Go, 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 All right, all right, take your hands off me. Why are you all looking at me like that? You look as if you... You thought I killed John. Well, say it. Why don't you say what you think? Better cool off a little, Pete. This is no time for a scene. Yeah? For that matter, Tom Archer, what about you? You'd like to marry Susan yourself, wouldn't you? Why, you rotten little... You better cool off a little, Tom. This is no time for a scene. Well, I'm sorry. Yes, Peter, you're right. I would like to marry Susan. You know that, don't you? Yes, Tom, I know. Yeah. You two look at each other like a couple of puppies in love. I'm going to get a... And that's to the 50,000. Great, George, I've got it. Got what, Mr. Matson? The solution. The solution to our problem. What are you talking about? That's it. Don't you see, Susan? You can marry Tom Archer here, and then you'll be able to legally claim the estate on your birthday. Well, that's a pretty callous thing to suggest, Matson. Callous? I'm a lawyer. It's my duty to protect my client. I... I couldn't do it. Of course not. Look here, Susan. Is there anyone else in the world who would benefit by John's death? I don't know. I... I, I can't think. Oh, what's the difference? Are you still looking for clues, Archer? You know who the murderer is, young Bart Hogan. I look further. Bart Hogan? Metzen. How did you know about Bart Hogan? What? What do you mean? Well, I, I've just come from Inspector Lambert's office. There, there was nobody present when we found Hogan's picture. How did you know about it? Well, it's really quite simple. I phoned headquarters a little while ago, and Inspector Lambert told me. Archer, uh, Matson! What's that? Peter! Archer, come quick, in the kitchen! Now, come along, Matson, quick. Yes, you stay here, Susan. All right, Pete, take it easy, we're coming. Down the hall, the kitchen! Get hold of yourself. You, you open the door, I, I can't. Look, go ahead, Archer, open it. Huh? Good heavens. It's Mrs. Hogan. She lay on the kitchen floor on her back, with blood all over her clothes. The blood came from a gaping knife wound in her throat, and the knife lay on the floor alongside her. 
I found her that way. Uh, her body is warm. She was killed within the last 10 or 15 minutes. Then, then the killer's running loose somewhere in the house. Susan, she's alone. Good heavens, there on the floor. Susan, Susan, darling. Is she, is she dead? No, no, she's, she's only fainted. The shock. Oh. It's all right, Susan. What happened? Was it... Was it Mrs. Hawkins? Yes. Who? We don't know. But the killer's in the house. That madman is liable to kill us all, one at a time. I have a revolver. Let's search the house. Right. Matson, you go in the kitchen and stand guard over that knife. There may be fingerprints on it. Very well. Peter, you stay here with Susan. Here's my gun. Don't be afraid to use it. wait. Wait just a minute. What is it, Matson? Has it occurred to you the killer may be one of us? One of us? What are you looking at me for? You were out of this room for quite a while. Why, you are a kill! Look out the gun! Better. I'll take the gun. He was going to shoot me. Sorry. I lost my head. Susan, I'm sorry you have to go through all this. Everybody's on edge. There's a killer loose in the house, and we've got to find him. Yes, Tom. I know you'll do whatever's right. I'll try. Uh, you two. You can both stay here with Susan. I'll search the house myself. Manson, call the police. Yes, but how can you hold the gun with your hands all bandaged? You, you can't pull the trigger. I'll use it as a club. All right, now. Don't move out of this room till I return. Be careful, Tom. You mustn't let anything happen to you, too. I went slowly up the stairs to the upper floor, gripping the gun by the barrel in my bandaged hand. At the end of the hall, I stopped before the door of Mrs. Hogan's room. I opened the door with the keys. Inside the room, the closet door was open. Bart Hogan was still lying on his cot. He must have been expecting me. His eyes were wild with terror. He had a long pencil clutched in his right hand, the only weapon he could find to use against me. His left fist was clutched into a tight ball. He watched me, stiff with fear as I moved slowly toward him across the room. Keep away from me. I had no time to waste on him. I swept aside the fist that clutched the pencil. Help! And brought the revolver butt down hard on his forehead. I, I went over to the window, opened it. Then I, I went back to the bed and pulled the sheet, pulled it away, lifted him. His weak and withered legs dangled uselessly. I carried him over to the window, rested him against the sill. He opened his eyes. He was recovering from the blow. I didn't wait. I pushed hard. He went toppling out of the window. I leaned over and saw the body strike against the 10th floor setback, then go hurtling into the air and smashed down upon the pavement far below. There wasn't enough of him left to perform an autopsy on. They'd never know his legs had been no good, that he hadn't been able to walk. 
Everything would be easy sailing from here on. Susan would marry me to save the estate. A million and a quarter dollars. Oh, I've been clever enough. When I called out that fake warning at the mouth of the alley, I myself stabbed John in the back. Then I slashed myself up. They had taken my story at face value, Lambert and the others. I'd guessed that Mrs. Hogan was hiding Bart, but just as a precaution, I'd stolen Peter's watch chain and dropped it at the scene of the crime in case I should need another suspect. But when I found Bart couldn't walk, it became necessary to kill Mrs. Hogan, too, for she was the only one who could tell the police that Bart hadn't been able to walk. All I had to do now was go down and say I'd found Bart, we had fought, and he had fallen from the window. The perfect crime. I took one more last look down into the street where a crowd had gathered around Bart's body. I was able to make out the figure of Inspector Lambert bending over what was left of him. And I saw Lambert force something out of the clenched left fist of the dead body. In a flash, I remembered that feeble little pencil with which Bart had tried to defend himself. I pulled in my head from the window and glanced across to the closet. I saw it at once. A small white scratch pad. I rushed across the room and snatched up the pad. There, on the topmost page, were the indentations of what Bart Hogan had written on the page and then had torn off. I could read it clearly. I could almost imagine his terrified voicing of the frightened appeal as he wrote it. Archer was here. He means to kill me. He wants them to think I killed John Frame. But I can't walk. I've got two bullets in my legs. For God's sake, save me. Bart had written that note, meaning to throw it out the window. But I had come back too soon for him. And I had thrown it out of the window for him. I went back to the window and looked down. I saw Lambert peering up. Then he turned away and hurried toward the entrance of the building. He's coming for me. There's only one thing for me to do now. I've locked the door. It'll take time to break it down. In the meantime, I've taken the bandage off my right hand. I'm writing a full account of tonight's work. I gambled for a fortune. And I lost. Yes, sir, he seemed like such a nice young man. Well, his trouble was he tried to commit the perfect crime without first practicing up on minor crimes. He should have started by stealing watermelons and then maybe tried his hand at robbing mail trains. Mr. Raymond, what are you suggesting? And just when I was getting ready to tell people to send a bowl of soup to the boys overseas. Hmm? Wouldn't the soup get cold by the time it arrived? Oh, of course not. Why, Lipton's noodle soup mix comes in a flat package. Mm. You simply send it along to your favorite soldier. Oh. And he'll be pleased by your little gift because this noodle soup is just like a, well, just like a taste of home. 
So enclose a package or two of Lipton's the next time you write to him. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry you have to go so soon. But drop in again next Tuesday for another little blood fest. You know, some people have to commit murders to get a kick out of life. Others get their satisfaction from listening to Inner Sanctum. But a word of advice. If you've got to commit a murder, please don't get yourself caught. Because if you do, you'll surely get a free ride with the only person never bothered by backseat drivers. I mean that they're curse drivers. <laughs> by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum mystery novel is A Time to Die by Hilda Lawrence. Now I guess it's time to close the squeaking door until next week when Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup bring you another Inner Sanctum mystery directed by Hyman Brown. So until then, good night. Pleasant dreams. <laughs> and don't forget to tune in again next Tuesday night to Inner Sanctum. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for The Jack Benny Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Jack Benny Show. You know, there are very few people who got as big a laugh by simply saying nothing than Jack Benny. His sense of timing was impeccable. He had the ability to cause laughter with a pregnant pause or a single expression, such as his signature exasperated, well. Let me pick up on his storyline just after he was trying to make it in vaudeville. Benny was playing in the same theater as the young Marx Brothers. Minnie, their mother, enjoyed Benny's violin playing and invited him to accompany her boys in their act. Benny's parents refused to let their son go on the road at age 17, but it was the beginning of his long friendship with the Marx Brothers, especially Zeppo Marx. Benny left show business briefly in 1917 to join the United States Navy during World War I and often entertained the sailors with his violin playing. One evening, his violin performance was booed by the sailors. So with prompting from fellow sailor and actor Pat O'Brien, he ad-libbed his way out of the jam and left them laughing. He received more comedy spots in the reviews and did well, earning a reputation as a comedian and a musician. Benny's comic persona changed over the course of his career. At some point, he developed a miserly persona. This stage character was everything that Jack Benny was not. Cheap, petty, vain, and self-congratulatory. His comic rendering of these traits was the linchpin to the success of his show. Benny set himself up as a comedic foil, allowing his supporting characters to draw laughs at the expense of his own flaws. With his humanism and vulnerability in an era where few male characters were allowed such character traits, Benny made what could have been unlikable into an everyman character. And now on to tonight's presentation... The Jack Benny Show.
Rocky Strike program, starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Tennessee, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, last week, while Jack was taking inventory in his pantry, a big can of tomato juice fell off the shelf and hit him on the head. Since then, Jack hasn't been himself, and Mary is terribly worried. So now we take you to Mary's home in Beverly Hills. Oh, Miss Livingston, I just called Dennis Day, and he'll be right over. Good. Did you call Don Wilson? Uh-huh. And did you call Phil Harris? Oh, yeah. I called him twice. Twice? Pauline, why didn't you give him the message the first time? I couldn't. He picked up the phone and went right into that's what I like about the South. <laughs> she would. Oh, I think Mr. Harris is wonderful. I wish there was some subtle way I could get him to kiss me. Well, I... <laughs> well, I can help you, Pauline. When Mr. Harris is here, come into the room with a cork in your mouth. <laughs> He'll pull it out and have you up to his lips before he knows what he's doing. <laughs> Gee, Miss Livingston, do you think it'll work? Are you kidding? It'll even work with my sister, babe. <laughs> now, Pauline, you better go in the kitchen and... Oh, I'll get that. Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Mary. Hiya, Livy. Hello, boys. Come on in. Oh, say, Mary, that call sounded quite urgent. What happened? Yeah, what's up, Liv? Well, I'm worried about Jack. Last week, while he was taking inventory in his pantry, a big can of tomato juice hit him on the head. And since then, he's been spending money like mad. Wait, wait. <laughs> wait just a minute. Hold it. Look, Mary, the, uh, the acoustics ain't so good in here. Would you mind throwing that again? <laughs> I said since Jack got hit on the head, he's been spending money. Jackson? Yes. Who? His. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, heavens, the max factor. That old man has blown his top. <laughs> Phil, this is no laughing matter. Will you please sit down? Well, what chairs are taking? He can sit on my lap. Pauline, you're not supposed to be in here. Now, boys, the question is, what are we going to do about Jack? Nothing. Why tamper with a slot machine when it's paying off? Phil, this is nothing to joke about. I'm really worried. I'm worried, too. I didn't sleep a wink. I walked the streets all night. You did? Yeah, my folks moved and didn't tell me where. <laughs> well, I wouldn't worry about it, Dennis. I'm sure it was just an oversight. Some oversight. It's the fifth time they did it this month. <laughs> Dennis, keep quiet. Am I heavy, Pauline? Phil, get off her lap. <laughs> Now, kids, I talked to the doctor, and he said the reason Jack is spending money is because when the can hit him on the head, it caused a quilobum terribly compressive. Quilobum terribly compressive? What's that? That's Latin for hand me the jug, Remley. It's cold outside. <laughs> well, there's no use talking to you, Phil. Well, you can talk to me, Mary. I know how serious it can be. My mother once hit my father over the head, and he was unconscious for two days. For two days? What'd she hit him with? Me. <laughs> with you? She kept hitting him and hitting him. Dennis. Oh, boy, could the Dodgers have used her. <laughs> Dennis, please. Now, come on, kids. I think it's time we got started for Jack's house. Okay, Mary, let's go. <laughs> Oh, Rochester, Rochester. 
Hello, boss. I let you sleep late because I thought it would help you cold. Uh-huh. And besides that, well, where'd you get that bathrobe? That's a beauty. Oh, I bought it yesterday. Of course, it's nothing fancy, but... What did you expect for $250? for a bathroom. And Rochester, send my old one to Fred Allen. And you uh, better put a sandwich in each pocket. He's out of work. <laughs> well, I think I'll go back to my room and get dressed. I want to do a little shopping before the gang gets here for rehearsal. Boss, you've been shopping every day this week. Oh, that was just to pick up a few antiques. Antiques? You mean that spin wheel in the living room is only for ornamental purposes? Yes, why? When you came home with it, I ran to the backyard and planted cotton. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Rochester, stop being silly. You have enough work to do around here. I have? Certainly. Now that I think of it, you can have the evening off. Gee, thanks, boss. I think I'll call my girl Susie and take her out. Well, that's a good idea. Rochester, here's $20. Show her a good time. Here. Take it. $20? But... No, no, Rochester, I want you to have it. Now, you take that money and go out and have a... Oh, Rochester, you've got tears in your eyes. <laughs> I can't help it, boy. You haven't been so nice to me since I was in bed with pneumonia. Rochester. You felt so sorry for me, you only made me work half days. <laughs> What are you talking about? Don't you remember, boss? You used to pick me up at the hospital every day at noon. <laughs> I don't remember that. Well, I've got to put my clothes on. See you later. Wait a minute. Wait till I tell Susie about this. I'm going to call her right now. Hello? Oh, Susie, this is Rochester. Oh, hello, Rochester. I was hoping you'd call. Well, honey, I got tonight off and we'll really do the town. What? I'll pick you up in a taxi. We'll go to a restaurant for champagne cocktails and a big steak dinner and then we'll go dancing. Rochester, are you all right? Yeah, I'm all right. It ain't me, it's the boy. Mr. Denny, well, what's the matter with him? I don't know, but it's lovely. About. Well, it's a long story, but I just got $20 from Mr. Benning. Rochester, now you untie that man and give it right back to him. <laughs> no, no, honey, he gave it to me. He gave it to me. <laughs> now, look, Susie, I haven't seen you all week, and I feel kind of romantic today, so after dinner, I'll take you to Mulholland Drive, and we'll watch the sunset. Watch the sunset? Oh, Rochester, by the time we have dinner, we won't get to Mulholland and Drive until it's pitch dark. Yeah. <laughs> now, look, honey. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Here comes Mr. Benny. I'll see you tonight. Okay, Rochester. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> well, Rochester, I'm ready to leave. Uh, what'll I tell you, Cash, when they come here for rehearsal? Oh, I'll be back before they get here. I'm only going now. I'll answer that. Hello? No way for showers. Make noise. Bell. They bring the flowers. Bell. 
Now, now don't get mad, Mr. Benny. I didn't want to call you up for a job again, but my wife made me do it. Don't be such an apologetic schnook, Melvin. Tell him how important you are. <laughs> well, look, Desdemona. Maybe I better not aggravate him. Well, if you won't tell him, I will. Give me back home. Hello, Benny. <laughs> Who are you? I'm Mrs. Blank, Melvin's wife, and my Mel is doing you a favor by wanting to appear on your program. Look, Mrs. Blank. My Melvin is very talented, and he almost got a big part in a very important picture. What picture? Joseph sings again. <laughs> now, look, Mel. Mel, I've got a part for you on my program. You'll just stop with those silly imitations. Now, come to rehearsal at my house in an hour. Oh, gee, thanks. I can use that 30 bucks. $30? Is that all you're getting? Well, Mel, from now on, I'm going to give you 100 Is that all right, Mel? <laughs> Mel? <laughs> Mel? I don't know what you said to my husband, but he just swallowed his upper plate. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Goodbye. Now, Rochester... Rochester, you better have some food for the gag when they come for rehearsal. Yes, sir. I'm going out now, do a little more shopping, I'll be back soon. Mm -hmm. That, uh, what a change has come over that man. It's hard to believe that being hit on the head with a can of tomato juice could cause clay, lobum, caribou, compressor. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but you got to live in Beverly Hills to have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I better get some food ready for the... Now, who can that be? Why are you leaning over the rail? I, uh, dropped my fountain pen. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, tell me, uh, what's the, uh, what's the price of this yacht? $50,000. That sounds reasonable. I think I'll take it. 
Well, you're certainly in for a lot of happy, carefree days on this yacht, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Benny. Benny? Yes, uh, Jack Benny. Jack Benny? J-A-C-K-B-E-N-N-Y. <laughs> All right, sir, you've had your little joke. Now, what's your name? <laughs> Barney D. I told you, Jack Benny. See, I've signed it on this check for $1,000 as a deposit. Well, I... Now, here's my address. If you come over to my house this afternoon with the bill of sale for the yacht, I'll give you the rest of the money. Very good, sir. And by the way, I wish you'd paint the name of the bow. I want to call it the Mary L. after Miss Livingston. Yes, sir. Oh, and one more thing. I intend to anchor my yacht in the San Pedro Harbor. Very good, sir. Shall we truck it down to San Pedro, or will you wait for the rainy season? <laughs> oh, send it down immediately. Yes, sir. I'll be over to your house as soon as I get the papers drawn up. Good day, sir. Goodbye. I have to hurry now. I want to stop at the corner drugstore. Uh, here you are, sir. A tube of toothpaste and a package of razor blades. Will it be anything else? Well, yes. I have a cold that's been bothering me for a couple of weeks. I don't know what to do about it. Why not try a four-way cold tablet? Oh, give me an eight-way cold tablet. Money is no object at all. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Benny. Nice seeing you in the bank again. Thank you. How much do you want to deposit today? I don't want to make a deposit. I want to withdraw $50,000. All I said was I want to withdraw $50,000. Where did everybody go? Oh, well. Here you are, sir. 360 North Camden Drive. Thank you, Cabby. That'll be 45 cents, sir. 45 cents, eh? Well, here's a dollar. Keep the change. Thank you. You're quite welcome. Oh, mister. Mister. What is it, driver? Didn't Jack Benny used to live here? Yes, yes. You. I can't understand, Pete. I've been a big star for 18 years. Nobody recognizes me. Oh, darn it, I forgot my key. Hope we finish rehearsal quickly today. There's a little more shopping I want to do. Oh, hello, boss. Everyone's waiting for you in the den. Well, I'll go right in. There's the business. Oh, hello, kids. Hello, hello Jack. Jack. Hello, Mr. Benny. Hiya, Dennis. Uh, Rochester told you out shopping again. Yes, yes, Mary. I just bought a yacht, and I'm going to call it the Mary L. after you. You bought what? A yacht. And here's a box of candy for you, too, Mary. Thanks. Thanks. I think you'll like this assortment, Mary. Candy, the candy, caramels, fruits, and nuts. Speaking of nuts, Mr. Benny, how are you feeling? Dennis! What was that you said, kid? Oh, it was nothing, Jack, nothing. Oh. Well, kid, as long as you're all here, we'll start rehearsing. Now, Dennis, do your song while I hand out the script. Okay. After all we've been through, 
It's breaking my heart to remember A dream we defended apart You're leaving us, Lord, I remember I'll miss you, my love, when you're gone I wish you joy, no teardrop burns But if someday you should want to return Don, is the Sportsman Quartet here? Well, no, they're not, Jack. You see, this week I prepared just a straight commercial. Why? Well, in that way, you won't need the quartet, and that'll save you $500. Save me $500? Don, are you crazy? When will you ever learn that money was made to spend? <laughs> I'm ashamed of you. There's anything I can't stand, it's a cheap thing. <laughs> But, Jack, I thought... Don, you... I don't care what you thought. Lucky Strike. Lucky Strike pays millions of dollars more than official parity prices for that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. And you have the temerity to try and save me a measly $500. <laughs> but, Jack, so... Don't but Jack me. Don, at auction after auction, Lucky Strike buys tobacco that's smooth, mild, and mellow, out of which they make those Luckies that are so round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. And you, you have the audacity to assume that I'd like to save a lousy $500. Yes! <laughs> Speedy Riggs ought to thrash you to within an inch of your life. But, Jack, now... Now, now have you got a fountain pen? Yes. Well, you sit right there at that table and write LSMFT a thousand times. 
Dennis, what are you staring at? I still can't figure it out. Can't figure out what? Why my folks keep moving all the time. <laughs> well, that I don't understand at all. Now, let's get on with the rehearsal so we can... Oh, for heaven's sake. What's that can of tomato juice doing on the piano? Uh, Rocket, you put it there. Yeah, the newsreels will be here any minute. What? Dennis, be quiet. Now, why should a can of tomato juice be here? Oh, Rochester! Rochester! Oh, I'll put it away myself. Excuse me. Can't understand what's the matter with everybody. Don trying to save me money, Mary whispering. Oh, well. See, the pet is full. A little space on this top shelf. If I stand on my tiptoes, I could just... Bob, did you call me? Yes, Rochester. Why did you... Bob, look out! <laughs> This is all your fault. How do you like that? It happened again. Rochester, Rochester, what's going on in here? Hey, Jack, what happened? Jack, are you hurt? Huh? What? What'd you say, Billy? I asked if you were hurt. No, 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 I'm all right. Now, come on, Rochester, let's finish taking this inventory. around all dressed up for. I got a date you said I could have the night off. Where did I give you the night off? About an hour ago, you even gave me $20 spending money. I? <laughs> I gave you $20? Sure. Here. I'll show it to you. See? <laughs> I should have never taken it out of my pocket. John, John, he's back to his old self. Yeah. Hit him again. Hit him again. Harder. Harder. Dennis, you keep quiet. Now, look, kids, I don't know what this is all about. But come, come in. Well, here I am, Mr. Benny. I hope I didn't keep you waiting. Waiting? What do you want, mister? I've come for the $49,000 you owe me on the yacht. <laughs> What? What did you say? I said I've come for the $49,000 you owe me on the yacht. <laughs> All right, mister, you've had your little joke. Now, what do you want? <laughs> I'm not joking. You bought a yacht, put a $1,000 deposit on it, and still owe me $49,000. I? I gave you $1,000. Let me see it. I will not. I'm keeping it right in my pocket. Now I know why I'm a butler and he's a yacht salesman. <laughs> Quiet, Rocker. This man is playing some swindle game saying I bought a yacht. But, Jack, you yourself told us you bought it, and I think you'll get a lot of pleasure out now, of it. Now, you keep your big, fat mouth out of it. No, he's right, Jack. You ought to keep the yacht. Mary. You even named it after me. Never mind. And get your hands out of that candy. <laughs> Now, look, mister, if you think you can swindle me... I'm not swindling you. You ordered the yacht. You paid a deposit. And I'll get the rest of that money if I have to sue you. Well, let me tell you something. You're not going well, to get... Well, here I am, Mr. Penny. I hope I ain't late for rehearsal. Now, Blake, what are you doing here? I don't need job I show. Oh, but you hired me over the phone. You even raised my salary to $100. Well, 
I? <laughs> I gave you... What's going on here, anyway? You think I'd pay $100 just to hear you imitate Al Jolson? Nah. Oh, shut up! <laughs> now, how about it, Benny? Am I going to get my 49000 or do I call my lawyer? I don't care how many lawyers you call, you're not going to get any money out of me. But, Jack, it's only money. It's not as though he's taking your life's blood. Let me be the judge of that. <laughs> Now, mister, you better, you better return my deposit. I must have been out of my mind when I gave it to you. I wouldn't pay $50,000 for any crummy boat. Crummy? I'll have you know that some of the best men in this country own our yacht. Men like Humphrey Bogart, Robert Taylor, and Al Jolson. Nah. Now, stop, stop. Hey, get out. Out, both of you. Get out, get out, get out. Barry. Barry. What's going on around here anyway? Is everybody crazy? No, Jack. I, I don't blame you for being confused. Come on in the other room and I'll explain it to you. I wish you would. Hello? Hello, Susie. Our date is off tonight. I'm broke. Broke? The Rocco sounds like you said you had $20. Have you ever heard that expression, easy come, easy go? Uh-huh. Well, I've just had a personal demonstration. Goodbye. <laughs> Mary, you mean I, I bought all those things just because I was hit on the head? Yes, Jack, but it's over now, so why don't you... I'll get it. Hello? Hello, Mr. Benny. This is the Beverly Hills Supermarket. Yes? And we were checking over our accounts, and we find that you've neglected to pay a small bill of 69 cents. 69 cents? What was that for? A large can of tomato juice. Well, uh, wait a minute. You sold me that can of tomato juice? Yes. I am suing you for $50,000. What? Goodbye. How did I ever get like this? This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.